for Radio 191 FM podcast. Kete fakarongo mai koe kitereo irirangi kotahi. You're listening to Awa News here on 91 FM for Ra Apa, Wednesday 11th of May. Ko Jema Aho. Ko Athena Aho. On first for this hour of news, I talked to Gabby Richardson about her experience being a newly qualified teacher. We'll also be talking to Zach Henry, a University of Otago performing arts student starring in a local production of Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap. Dr Nick Rollins will be joining us in studio to talk about new research involving ancient eastern moa DNA. And to finish the show, I'll be speaking to Ambrose McNeil about the single Flynn Mingle Festival in Ototahi, Christchurch. Coming up now, we have Angel Olsen with Forgive Forgotten. About yourself became the victim. was Angel Olsen with Forgiven Forgotten. Now we have Eileen Corcoran with the news. This is the news on Radio 191 FM. Aotearoa's borders may open as soon as the end of July, three months ahead of the initial plan to remove final restrictions in October. A source who spoke to news outlet Stuff under the condition of anonymity says the date will be moved forward to July 31st. The government has previously signalled that the date may be shifted forward. A spokesperson for Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has thus far refused to confirm or deny the new date. Ardern is expected to make an announcement regarding the reopening of borders later today. A specific health unit for teenagers will be part of the health system reorganisation scheduled to happen in July. More details are being revealed as to how Health New Zealand, which will replace the country's 20 DHBs, will be structured, and the Adolescent Health Unit is part of this. Speaking to RNZ, 
Associate Nursing Professor at Auckland University, Terry Ann Clark, said teenagers fit awkwardly into the current model, as neither child nor adult-centred healthcare necessarily works for them. DHBs are expected to be completely taken over by Health New Zealand by October. Recent speed limit reductions in Tāmaki Makoto have seen fewer road deaths, meaning more speed limits may be lowered. In 2020, a third of Tāmaki's roads went, to fif- went from 50 kilometres per hour to 30 kilometres per hour. Nathan Kamuk, who directed the speed limit reduction programme, said there has been a massive change with fatalities on the roads um, reduced by 47%. Kamek said there was no other factor in road safety that makes as big of a difference as speed limits. Auckland Transport is currently creating a management plan to guide speed limit management through all of Tamaki. And that was the headlines on the R1 News. Now, the weather. The Radio 191 FM weather. Ite and expect a high of 16 and a low of 8, with clear skies for the rest of the day and westerlies. For Rāpare, Thursday... Otipoti will have a high of 17 and a low of 8, with areas of morning cloud and westerly breezes. Now we have house witches with humorless. It was just a joke. It's just having a laugh, dear. Looking over my shoulder. Just a bit of fun. It's just something the kids say. Also something that I say again and again and again, but you weren't supposed to hear it. Please 
think of the men. That was House Witches Humorless. RNZ released an article regarding newly qualified teachers being severely underpaid in New Zealand and some going months without the correct salary that aligns with their qualifications. I talked to Gabby Richardson, about a new, oh, who is a newly qualified teacher, about her experience entering the workforce. So how was the job search as a newly qualified teacher like for you? It was kind of easy because I knew that I wanted to go to Wellington. So that helped narrow it down. If I wanted to stay in Dunedin, it was not possible. There were like three jobs going in Dunedin um, for, for me as an English teacher anyway. Um, I applied to like maybe five in Wellington and then was rejected from one and didn't hear back from the others and then got this one. But it was pretty quick. So after I had my interview, they called me pretty soon after. So I had enough time to organise myself to move up. So what was the process like in getting the job at the location you're at now? Was it very easy um, in terms of what came after the interview? Yeah, they just told me when I sort of needed to be there for the start date. Um, And then I just got all my stuff organised, moved up, and it kind of happened very quickly. Like we really got stuck into it because I guess the school year is very intense from the start. So, yeah, I felt like I had everything I needed. My school's really good, so I feel supported. So it was easy to get into things quickly. So it wasn't hard to know what I was doing after I got the job. There was not a lot of paperwork for accepting my job. The paperwork that came after was for my salary stuff. So the actual, with my actual school, because it's separate to who pays me. So the paperwork's very minimal for my school, but a lot for the other issue. So could you explain more about your experience in, um, so far in terms of being underpaid and that paperwork as well yeah so the schools don't pay any teachers you have a separate sort of collective that pays teachers and as a beginning teacher for some reason they set you on the untrained and unqualified rate which is forty thousand dollars a year I think and that already makes no sense because for the most part you can't become a teacher in New Zealand unless you're qualified. So I got my first pay slip and then I saw that that was what I was being paid and then I realised that I needed to do, you have to lodge this request to have a salary assessment. So that was when I realised I had to do that and then you fill out all the paperwork to tell them what your qualifications are, tell them where you've worked before. Then they say that they will take a maximum of 15 days to have the entire process sorted. And I did that maybe February and it's now May. So I have actually been paid now, but the back pay was incorrect. So I'm in the process of sorting that out. So yeah, I, there was a bit of back and forth with the, the Nova pay or ed pay. Um, I had to call them a few times and sort of ask where my application was at. And all they could tell me was that they couldn't tell me. So they were like, oh, it could take up to two weeks. But by that point, it had already been six weeks or something. So when did you start getting paid for being a qualified teacher? Last week. <laughs> so last week I was paid a, a rate underneath what I'm supposed to be paid because it's different. I have a master's and it's different for like a bachelor's degree and it's a pay scale. So I'm 
on step five or something and I was being paid for step four. So they got back to me and they said, you know, it's finally done. We've done the assessment. Here you go. You're welcome. And I had to go back to them and say, it's wrong again. <laughs> so I'm waiting for my back, back pay to be corrected and waiting for my actual salary to come in properly, hopefully, um, next payday. <laughs> so do you know any other new teachers that are experiencing anything similar? Pretty much my entire cohort from Dunedin last year. There was about 70 of us in the secondary cohort and I would say I've only spoken to about five people who have been paid correctly from the start. Have they all just been going through the same process of the filling out the paperwork and then calling back? Yeah, we have the PPTA. So I know that some people have been talking to uni in Dunedin and then they were also talking to the PPTA to sort of find out like what's going on and if it's normal and what we should do because there was confusion about our rate as master's graduates as well because... We were told at uni that we would be on step five and then a lot of schools or Novapay decided that a master's qualification wasn't actually step five anymore, even though last year when beginning teachers had finished, it wasn't a problem. So it's been an entire issue with like every organisation that you go to talk to. It's been so difficult. So one reason that RNZ pointed out was that new teachers and schools, quote, fail to provide education payroll limited with paperwork that ensures teachers' pay rate matches their qualifications. Well, so we have to apply to the Education Council to get a provision really be employed without that. I kind of understand what they're saying, but the fault is theirs because you have to submit your qualifications, but you don't know that you have to do that because you've already done that to the education council to get your job. And then Novapay comes back and underpays you. And then you realize you have to submit qualifications again to a whole new organization. So it's unclear from the beginning. And did your employers, your school talk to you about that situation or did you just have to learn through outside sources? Yeah, my school helped me once I asked what was going on. Because I guess some people get lucky and they get it right from the start. So it was only when I went to my school and, and I said, hey, what's going on with my pay slip? That they were like, oh, yeah, you have to do a salary assessment. And I spoke to some of the other teachers at school and they pre-warned me that it was going to take ages. So it's been going on for years as well. I've asked teachers who've been there for like five years and this happened to them as well. So it's not a COVID thing either. I'm sure that doesn't help, but it's been a really slow process even before COVID ever existed. So I just wanted to finish on the fact that so many of you are being underpaid from the get-go. Do you think that it can majorly influence their ability to teach as well as morale? Yes, definitely. I've been quite stressed out about moving from Dunedin to Wellington and all of the costs associated with finding a new flat and starting a new job and, you know, just everything that comes with that and being significantly underpaid. Like I was underpaid by $20,000 a year. So that's the salary rate that I was on and it stresses me out. And then you have to teach somehow confidently and calmly. Yeah. So it's been, it's been hard, but I know that I, I had a few teachers offer me money from their own accounts as well. They were willing to help me. And then they told me that there were a few times that teachers in the past have needed money. So they've spoken to the, the finance person at school. When you think about the amount of teachers that do move away from where the institution is, where they studied, that process in itself is quite costly. Yeah, I think I had, I think most of my cohort from Dunedin has moved somewhere else. I think for a lot of people, I never had study link or student loan or any kind of help from the government because I'm from Australia. But 
I think for a lot of people, the change from being in uni and being a student and getting some assistance to then sort of being out on your own and being significantly underpaid is a real shock. It's also quite embarrassing. When I was offered money from the head of department, I would never want to take it, even if I was, you know, like I'd go to the end of the fortnight and I would have two days short where I had absolutely no money, but I still wouldn't take money off somebody that I worked with. I don't know. I think a lot of people have a bit of trouble accepting money from other people. I just am so confused about what the issue is. If it always takes so long to process somebody's application, is it because you're understaffed? Because if that's the case, then surely wouldn't you try to hire more staff when you first realised that this was an issue? Yeah, that's very true. Everybody says something different. So it's impossible to get it right the first time. That was Gabby Richardson, a recently qualified teacher, on her experience coming into the workforce and the process she underwent to secure correct pay salary. Coming up on the show, Gemma interviews Zach Henry, who plays the star role in Mousetrap by Agatha Christie, put on by Dunedin's Playhouse Theatre. Now we have Not Done Loving by Mosey.
Opening on Thursday, May 19th, the Playhouse Theatre is putting on The Mousetrap by Agatha Christie to celebrate the play's 70th birthday this year. The play is a mystery where audiences are traditionally asked not to reveal the end when they leave the theatre. Today we are talking to Zach Henry, a University of Otago student studying performing arts, about his role in the play. Kia ora, Zach. How are you? Hi. I'm doing very well. <laughs> Having a lot of rehearsals. Absolutely. When are we not? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about the play and your role? So within the play, I am playing the character of Christopher Wren. He is a uh, eccentric young man who has arrived at Monkswell Manor to escape his own past. And within the world of the play, a group of strangers have arrived at Monkswell Manor they don't know each other, but there there are some of them that are connected through a past event, mm. and eventually a police sergeant shows up and under the guise of looking for a murderer, ah. as one of the residents of Monkswell Manor is a murderer. And it's the policeman's job to find out who it is before they strike again. Right. So a classic Agatha Christie murder mystery. Absolutely. <laughs> how can you go wrong? <laughs> so how long have you and the cast been rehearsing for this? Ooh, that's a good question. I've got to think about that one. Um, so we've been rehearsing for quite a, quite a while now, a decent chunk of time. It's come a long way mm-hmm. from when we started. I mean, we're able to use the stage now, as originally we were sharing with the children's show that was currently on at the time. Right, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That would have been interesting, you know, murder mystery versus children's show. Yeah, a bit interesting when we can't use the stage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and are you in the Playhouse continuing the tradition of asking audiences not to reveal the ending? Oh, absolutely. Even the cast has been heavily instructed to not reveal anything about it. Mm-hmm. And starring in the play is sort of, I guess, linked to your studies because mm-hmm. you st- study me- media and theatre. So, I mean, does it influence you in any way because of that? Uh, well, it was... I guess it's almost the opposite, where originally it was the love for acting and everything that made me want to pursue it more into my studies. It's just more along the lines of the more that I can do among the theatres around Dunedin is it just expands my own knowledge, which I can then turn around and bring back to my studies. That's amazing, yeah. And do you get a lot of support from the company in what you do? I believe that we do, yes. (laughs) Nice. And lastly, if you could give us one reason to come and see the play, what would it be? Um, Aside from the fact that I'm in it, uh, (laughs) it's an absolutely classic story. It's been going on for nearly 70 years now at West End. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really get the chance to be done outside of that. So the fact that we got to be able to do it at all in Dunedin is reason enough to come and watch. Amazing, thank you. Well, that was Zach Henry talking about The Mousetrap by Agatha Christie, which is being put on at the Playhouse Theatre starting on Thursday, May 19th. So go ahead and get some tickets for that. Coming up now, we have Dudley Benson with It's All Te Poti's Fault, Totem's Remix.
was Dudley Benson with It's Autipoti's Fault, the Totems remix. Just before we were speaking to Zach Henry about the Playhouse Theatre's production of The Mousetrap by Agatha Christie. Now we are joined by Nick Rawlins to discuss new research that has found that eastern moas responded differently to climate change than other moa species. Through analyzing ancient DNA of the extinct eastern moa, research found that the birds altered their distribution as they faced climate change. We're now joined by Dr. Nick Rawlins, a researcher and author of the study and director of the paleogenetics department here at the University of Otago. Hi, Nick. How are you? Hi. Thanks for having me on. So what was the eastern moa and where in New Zealand was it found? So the eastern moa is a fairly large um, stocky moa with short legs. It was about 80 kilograms in size and females were about 15 to 20% bigger than the males. And its fossils can be found throughout the eastern South Island from Marlborough all the way uh, down into southern parts like Southland as well. And we have a really good idea of um, where they were in in space, so in geography, but also in time, um, how that distribution changed through time as well. Yeah. And so for the research, you used ancient eastern moa DNA. Was this something that has been discovered recently, or did you already have that DNA on hand? So ancient DNA has been around uh, the field for about a good um, 30 um 40 years. The first papers were coming out in the, in the mid-1980s. And so uh, my student, Alex Very, who's now doing a postdoc um, in France, who did all the hard work on this, is we went around New Zealand museum collections, we sampled eastern moa bones, and we managed to, or Alex managed to, extract ancient DNA out of these bones and sequence the complete um, mitochondrial genome. So this is the DNA that's passed down through um, mother to daughter through the female line. Yeah, and in the research it says that the eastern moa changed their distribution based on warming yeah. and cooling. Uh, how was this advantageous to their survival at different temperatures? So eastern moa have a very specific habitat. They, they like um, forest swampland habitats, and during um, the Holocene, so the warm period we currently find our, our cells in, they were fairly really widespread because their habitat was widespread. But when we go to the Ice Age, the height of it, which was about 19 to 29,000 years ago, that habitat basically contracted all the way down into um, southern New Zealand to Southland. And so Eastermar tracked the, the changes in the distribution of that, that habitat. Now, that's one way to survive, but there were definite genetic consequences. They went through a pronounced population uh, bottleneck. You're, the analogy I usually use is you've gone from the genetic variation of the, si uh, the size of Auckland to the genetic variation of the English royal family. Mm -hmm. they've, they've lost a <laughs> lot of it. Um, and only after climate got warm again, after the Ice Age, did they actually expand back out into the rest of um, the South Island. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that bottleneck and that lack in genetic mm. diversity amongst the eastern mm. moa at certain points in their uh, life. Do you think that that might have been related to the species' demise in the end? Um, in New Zealand's case, uh, no. So by the time uh, Polynesians arrived um, in New Zealand around about seven, 800 years ago, eastern moa were really common. They're one of the most mm. common moa you find in um, sub-fossil and archaeological deposits. So they were, they were widespread, but species can survive with quite low um, amounts of genetic variation. And so rather than the ghosts of Ice Ages past um, causing their extinction, in New Zealand it's down to overhunting habitat destruction and predation from um, the Pacific rat Kiori and the Polynesian dog Kuri. Mm -hmm. 
do you think that these changes in distribution that led to lacks, mm. lacking in genetic diversity mm. can be translated to species that we see in New Zealand nowadays? Yeah, definitely. And so one of the key assumptions that's been bandied about uh, when you actually start looking at uh, what caused the extinction of megafauna around the world, so these large animals like mastodons, mammoths, is that if we find out what killed off one animal, then we apply that across all of the animals. Now, that's been shown to be uh, false over in um, studies that have been done in Europe. And in New Zealand, eastern moa had one response, heavy-footed moa, think Cartman of the moa world, uh, went to two separate refugia, one at the top and one at the bottom of the South Island. Um, the mountain goat of moa, upland moa, um, went to four different far-flung compass points of the South Island. So we've really got these individualistic responses to climate change. Now, if we push that forward into how species might respond in the future, what we're looking at is we need to conserve species individually, but also their their habitat. It can't be a one-size-fits-all broad-brush um, approach. So you want animals to have enough mountaintop to move up when climate changes, or enough islands so that or habitat they can move, because if they run out of island or mountaintop, they're going to go extinct. Yeah. And do you think that this information will be used to help the com- conservation of endemic species in New Zealand as we face climate change continuously? I, I, think, it, I think it will do. So there's a key phrase in geology or in our field that the, the, the past is the key to the present, and I will argue the future. So how species respond in the past can predict how they respond in, in, in the future. And I think we're, we've shown that every species got, is going to respond differently. So we need to tailor our conservation measures um, individually towards species. Thank you. And is there anything else about the research that you'd like to add? Um, seeing as we're on student radio, we have plenty of projects um, available. If you want to come and do a project that can combine archaeology and paleontology and ancient DNA and reconstructing the biological heritage of New Zealand's Tauranga species, just uh, flick me an email or come find me in the zoology department. Amazing. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thanks for having me on. Coming up now, we have Holly Smith with you featuring the NZ Symphony Orchestra.
think I wanna fly with you. Fly with you. Fly with you. I wanna slip and slide with you. Take a look inside of you. Vibrant all the colors without violence And I can smell the violets Hear the breath in your smile when you're silent I just tried to focus on the scent And I like it Under the trees, feeling the breeze with you And I like it Would you believe it is all a dream? Just open your eyes to see the truth Listen to me, the reality is Look at the truth to open them to When will we acknowledge all the magic in this room? As soon as we uphold it There's some magic in this room Better believe that we understand We are best for me and you Look at my eyes taking a Then I know you're breathing too It could be me and just for you I jump without a parachute To be ingrained and weave life like so intertwined to It's Holly Smith with you featuring the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra and Casual Healing with Black and White. Just before, we spoke to Dr. Nick Rawlins about new findings with ancient Moa DNA. The Single Fin Mingle Festival is on in Sumner, Christchurch, starting tomorrow until the 15th of May. This festival features a film film festival, live music, an art exhibition, surfing competitions and more. I have with me Ambrose McNeil, founder and director of the single Finn Mingle. Kia ora, Ambrose. How are you? Kia ora. Yeah, I'm 
flat out. Uh, <laughs> we're in Mingle Week, so you definitely know the festival is on the doorstep, but I'm feeling really excited by the upcoming weekend. Awesome. So I kind of want to get into um, how the Single Fin Mingle began. What inspired the creation of this festival and competition? Uh, look, I used to do a lot of surfing competitions myself. I'd travel around New Zealand and stay at people's houses and hitchhike along the way, all with a nine-foot longboard, which mm-hmm. is quite a quite a fun journey. So I met a lot of great people around New Zealand, and then I started traveling the world. And I just realized our little town here in Sumner was such a great surfing community. We had, uh, you know, really nice waves. We had great restaurants, great bars. We had a beautiful cinema and we, me and my friends, knew how to have a really nice time during the weekend. So we just wanted to invite other people along and show them how to have that that awesome weekend that we do. And, and then from there, it's just grown every year, just trying to make that weekend even better. So how has it been watching the festival and community blossom over the years? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, it really just has gone from strength to strength, like, Right off the get-go, it had a really special feeling that was there, how it brought everyone together. And that surfing, just as a sport, it really spans the the age and and gender divide. You know, it really just brings everyone together because you're all involved in the same activity, and especially longboard surfing, which most people can participate in. It it is something you can do when you're a bit older as well. So um, right off the get-go, there was a really special feeling there. And then just year after year, it has got bigger, and I think the community has um, gotten behind it even more so. They've seen the, the value that it has for our little town, bringing people from overseas in and, and who, who really have such a good time through the weekend. And, yeah, it, it's cool. This year, for the Saturday night party, we're expecting that we might have, I don't know, close to a 1,000 people in, in the street. We're closing off one of the main roads. <laughs> To hold our party so um they're definitely yeah the whole of the community comes out for it it's really nice absolutely so how many surfers participate you said that um some come from overseas so they're not all local yeah this is the first time for two years that we've been able to have overseas surfers travel obviously because of the border closures um so it's really exciting to be welcoming some surfers from around the world we've got surfers from australia uh, America, Hawaii coming, um, which is really cool. But it is a pretty tight field. We only have 80 surfers, and all of them get invited to surf in the competition. Mm-hmm. So because we can only get so much surfing done through the three days of competition, it means that we are limited in how many people can participate. So it is quite a prestigious thing to get an invite now to the single fin mingle and, and, and I get a lot of messages through the year from people saying that they'd love to come and yeah, we, we keep our eyes out for people that are really talented longboarders and, and we think we'd like to see surfing at Sumner. Awesome. So the festival features this uh, single fin mingle traditional surfing competition. Um, how is that set up and are the conditions looking good for the weekend? Yeah, so it's just a knockout competition format, um, the same as that happens at, at most surf events where there's four surfers in a heat. They're judged by a panel of three, four judges, and then at the end, the surfers with the best judges, uh, sorry, the surfers with the best scores progress into the next round until eventually you have your, your winners. Um, and in regards to this weekend's conditions, it's looking a little bit daunting, a little bit small, um, which makes me a little bit anxious. But that's the beauty of longboards. You really just need a ripple. So 
if it's knee high, these guys and girls can do some amazing surfing on really not much. So I'm sure there will be something and, and enough conditions there for them to, to compete at, at the high level that they are. Yeah, for sure. So um, finally, other than the surf competition, what else is scheduled for the festival that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, well, the surf competition, we always say, is it's merely just a focal point of the weekend, mm-hmm. but there's so much more than that going on throughout. The social events almost have a greater weight on them than the competition itself because that's where so much of the, the mingling sort of happens, <laughs> so to speak, everyone rubbing shoulders, getting to know new people. Um, so, yeah, there are some really cool things happening out of the water. We kick off on Thursday night um, with a Mehe Whakato opening ceremony at the Summer Surf Life Saving Club. And then we take our competitors over to the Hollywood Theatre in Sumner, where we're kicking off our Single Fin Mingle Film Festival, which is presented by Hydroflask. And there we've had an array of amazing surf films submitted to us over the last six months, and we've narrowed it down to a short list of about seven short films that we'll be showing. And um, that's that opening night, Thursday. That film festival then continues on Friday night also. And then actually after the festival, we're travelling that up to Kokoda, um, on the 18th of May and then to Wellington and to Napier after that. Oh, wow. So we've, we've got some fun little trips on our hands with the films, just that part of the festival. Um, Friday night, we have our first party, which is called the Summer Soiree, presented by Corona. And we just do that out in our um, community courtyard at the, the Summer Library there. And we've got some amazing bands playing. And there's a Tuesday, who are, uh, are a local group who are absolutely booming now and have just come back from there first Australian tour, and then coming down from Auckland is um, Arthur Abiz, which is going to be an awesome way to rock into the night. Uh, Saturday evening, we've got heaps going on. Uh, our art show kicks off, and this year's featured artist is called Alice McCullough, and her show is called It's, it's Just Haberdashery, um, which is going to be really fun. She does an amazing embroidery work and uh, that's at Lestrange Gallery in Sumner and that'll be open for a week for people to come and go as they like and check out Alice's work and then Saturday night is that that big dance we talk of it's called the Sumner Street Sock Hop this year, presented by Corona and um, yeah that's our big party, we've closed off a portion of the street as I said, we've got a big stage being uh, erected there and we've got some amazing bands Jack Page from Christchurch a five piece that are jazz R&B, soul, funk band, going to be kicking it off. And then we've got the legend that is Nathan Haynes and his six-piece band, which is going to be incredible. Nathan is, um, you know, one of the forefathers of the New Zealand kind of jazz um, scene, and he's got a really upbeat, fun dancing show. And then I've got a really big surprise. That if anyone that looks at the poster will see, it, it says the big surprise. So I can't let too much out of the bag, but... Ooh. He is an artist from actually down in your way that has got a pretty big name for himself and um, it's going to be a huge bang to go out at the end of the night. So anyone listening down in Dunedin, come on up for an amazing weekend. Um, definitely going to be one of the best parties of the, the year and you might see, uh, yeah, you might know who I'm talking about, that big surprise, one of your hometown heroes who's blown up all the festivals across New Zealand, but I can't say too much more than that, I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, well, um, I'm sure the surprise is definitely intriguing a lot of people, and I do hope that um, we have some Dunedin Knights travelling up your ways. 
Yeah, thanks so much. So do we. We always get a good little contingent of cold water um, battlers that come on up. So we look forward to seeing them seeing them there. And we've got a few Dunedin surfers um, in the competition field, which is going to be awesome. And yeah, no, really excited to, to get all the tribes together. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing. Um, is there anything else you want to add? No, no, nothing from me. Really excited about the weekend. And if anyone is listening, yeah, far and wide, Come on over to the Single Fin Mingle. It is really a special event about celebrating surfing, art, music, film, and most importantly, human connection. So we'd love to see you there. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much for joining. Pleasure. Catch you later. later. That was Ambrose McNeil, founder and director of the Single Fin Mingle, which is happening this weekend in Ototahi, Christchurch. On the show today, we had Athena talking to... Gabby Richardson, a newly qualified teacher who had to prevent herself from being underpaid when entering the teacher's workforce. We also spoke to Zach Henry about his role in the local production of The Mousetrap by Agatha Christie. Dr Nick Lawrence was in studio with us to discuss a new finding with ancient eastern Moa DNA and how they responded to historic climate change. We also talked to Finn Mingle Festival and Ototahi Festival that encompasses film surfing, music and art exhibitions, which opens tomorrow and runs till the 15th of May in Christchurch. This has been our news here on Radio 191 FM. Ko Athena Tene. Ko Gemma Aho.
That was the Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.